Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity, and I'm your host, Gary Turner. I'm also the founder of HexoChange, and HexoChange is a transformational change practice dedicated to helping you connect to yourself, to others, and to systems at large in a more meaningful way, thus helping us turn around our workplace and planetary challenges and accelerating how alive we all feel in every aspect of our lives. This track is called Kaleidoscope and was created for me personally and for HexoChange by Peter Griffiths, one half of the amazing Mind Takeaway. I hope you enjoy this exploration and please do share it on your social platforms so we can bring more humanity to more people. Hope to speak to you soon. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. This morning, I'm very excited to welcome Meg Pepin onto the podcast from MP Partnership. Hello there, Meg. Morning. How are you? Great to be here. Looking forward to uh, looking forward to the conversation ahead. Oh, bless you. Well, look, as we get going, would you mind for anyone that may not know you, Meg, give a bit of maybe just a couple of minutes background. Who are you? You know, what's your main area of focus for work, and what are you passionate about? So I've I have a small organisation development consultancy which I've had since 2003. Uh, so it's mostly me and my business partner with a small group of trusted coaches and associates that I work with. And the work covers everything from, if I think about last year's work, coaching through to partnering with organisations that are going through some type of significant change. So that might be organisations that are merging or reviewing poor governance. So that's, that's what I do. And it, people often ask me what I do. And it, I, I do lots of different things. But at the heart of it is my own, my own mission is to, to work with organisations so that we create all workplaces where people can flourish and achieve great things. So that's, that's my, my mission, I suppose. Uh, and, I, and I've got a bit of a, a strap line to the business, which I think we came up with because it, it reflects the multiple breadth of what I what I do which is quality thinking times quality relationships creates energized cultures so it sounds a bit strapliney but it really does I do a lot of stuff around giving people time to do their best thinking I do a lot of stuff around relationships and I do a lot of stuff around culture and sometimes if works absolutely all aligned beautifully I get to do it all in one organization wow that, that, that is really that's really passed straight away something that's coming up for me particularly around, you know, this podcast calls around things like inclusion, vulnerability, you know, very human-centered aspects of life. You're dealing with this sort of creating space for people to stop and think. There's almost a courageous element to that, Meg, isn't there, in this busy world that we live in, so to actually give yourself permission to stop. It is, and I think that's, it's, it's a bit like an epidemic of people going so fast that, that sometimes I'm amazed that when I say, let's just, it's a unique space, to spend some time thinking together, people go, yeah, wow, it is unique. So, and, and that's remarkable really, because actually, if you, you know, everything that we do, the quality of everything we do, as Nancy Klein says, is based on the quality of the thinking we do first. And I think thinking is, is undervalued in organizations. Doing is so, so valued, and that's what we measure, and that's what we consider important so that's why people don't flourish that's fascinating are you seeing currently you know i don't know about you maybe i can really feel i'm an optimist anyway but i've got this sense that we're reconnecting 
almost as a human race. Technology is helping with that. People are having more conversations. People are leaning in a bit more, I think, to understand the other people's points of view. Is that something you sense or is that maybe not something you sense? How, 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 how do you see that at the moment? You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. My, my own personal connection in Twitter uh, about seven or eight years ago made me feel that because I felt quite isolated. I, I was increasingly working on my own and wondering, sort of trying out different partnerships with people, none of them quite working. And, and through various reasons, I got quite immersed in Twitter for a few months back in 2011 or some, somewhere. Uh, and suddenly found all these people that had the same, in a way, the same mission as me. I mean, people describe it in different ways. Uh, but, but we all wanted things to be better for people and, and believed and were optimistic and have hope. And I felt, so I, I was just meeting people that were quite cynical. So it was, that was really exciting for me. But I, but I wonder if, so there's this lovely attraction of like minds. Uh, but I don't know if I, I don't know how much change I see in organisations. I think the dominant paradigm is still, you know, how much everything is, everything that value is always associated to money. How much money can you save? How much money can you make? How much of your budget can you not spend? How cheaply can we do things? And I think that, that, that creates the, the, the behaviour of what, what we, where we pay attention to is the things that aren't those humanistic traits. So, so I, I don't know. I think I'd, I'd like to think so, but I don't know if I see the evidence of that. Yeah, it's just, uh, really, really interesting. Yeah, you got, got, got me pondering now. Like I said, I know I'm an optimist, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's something, there's something here as well. If I talk about inclusion for a moment, there's something around also sort of echo chambers as well. We have to be careful, don't we, that we also have competing views as well as, well as it's good to have people surround yourself with people that lift you up. You do need to make sure that you're getting alternative views and not just confirmation bias almost to some extent of what you believe mm. but those those things are so human aren't they and i with twitter i've tried uh filtering out or i've tried broadening who i follow let's say politically or even actually from a, from a, a business point of view there's, there's some stuff that sits in the workspace that we operate in that that i don't agree with so uh, and i've and then i find it just annoys me so uh <laughs> So I, I, it, it's great to have dialogue with people to understand the different perspectives and to learn in that way. But I think, so I, I, I yeah, I, I don't really know what I think about, about it. So I've sort of following on from that, I stopped following, I don't follow people who, who I find that they're reading what they, where they're thinking gets me irritated and we disagree because then you get involved in pointless or fruitless mm -hmm. arguments or discussions with people. I, mean, I, I like to think it's discussions, not arguments. Uh, and sometimes we're just stating our positions and that's that's where we are and I don't know if social media is the right place for us to share those those thoughts uh, and I, I I think as you'll know I, one of my teachers in life is a woman called Nancy Klein who, who wrote a book many years ago called Time to Think and so so much of that work is giving people uninterrupted time to connect to their own thoughts and actually, when we connect our own thoughts, in this podcast, I don't come here with a polished thing that I'm going to tell everybody about me because I, I don't know. You don't know what questions you're going to ask me, really, and I don't know what I'm going to say. So the act of saying it is helping me formulate my thoughts. And I think Twitter and social media can be useful to unpick and explore that. And that's, that's 
sometimes I think that's I spend too much time on Twitter and that's a very small part of the world that can be an echo chamber. Mm. I, don't know, I don't know where that's taking me in terms of your question about do we think things are changing? Are we coming together? I'd like to think that we are actually because I think about the voice of the bully in all of our own individual lives and in our in our, our sort of the political classes and the, the way that corporate businesses run, like small businesses, uh, but the, you know the corporates are owned really by very few people. And why why does the voice of the bully, which is so small, where most of us essentially are quite gentle and loving and caring, even if we get prickly and annoyed with each other, we would never do any harm to somebody. How, do, how, do the, how does the bully voice have such strength? And maybe maybe there's a gentle rising against that. What do you think? Yeah, th just something. It's really powerful, and I think thank you for taking the. It's funny because yeah, I I, to I totally agree with you that you know even Twitter can be a bit of an echo chamber, and I I lose probably too much time on it. I I've got to be honest for me personally, Meg. I think from a personal growth point of view, it's phenomenal. You know the sort of the articles that get shared, the links to like for example, Do OD or the NHS work. You know, so I think in terms of a resource or a depository if you're interested to learn and grow, it's phenomenal. However, I do agree to some extent, and I don't always think about it like this. Yeah, it's difficult to get into a conversation over social media because it lacks emotion, it lacks empathy, it lacks intent. So doing what we're doing now is far more powerful if you actually want to get to the nuts and bolts of something or somebody's view. And I think what we're doing now is wonderful for me because you know, we, could, we just couldn't do this over Twitter. You, know, you, just couldn't, you just couldn't do it. So I think there's something about channels for me you know, it's, it's sort of like a, it's an omni-channel approach to sort of knowing who you are, but also knowing how you can serve other people. And I think I'm still learning that, you know, what are my best channels to serve others, but also to learn from. And I think technology is great for that, but it does need to be managed. I think that's probably how I would, how I'd sort of see that. Hmm. I agree. I'm going through a phase of managing it and I'm, I'm starting to read out. Uh, for years, I've consumed a lot of my news from Twitter, but I find that I then read threads or news stories that upset me or feel, make me feel indignant. So I'm going back to the newspapers to read some more, sort of, some more exploration rather than sort of the sound bites that you hear. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I, but I also, I'm not could name check three or four people, but I've made some really amazing lifelong friends from Twitter, people that will be friends forever. And, and I'm always grateful that social media can connect you to people with whom you can find a really strong connection that I wouldn't have met otherwise. Oh, I completely share that. And I, I think something that's come up for me as you just described that, which is really beautiful actually, there's something about social media being a catalyst, but not the end, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So actually, like say, I've met so many people, you know, I probably would never have found you without Twitter, or it would have taken a lot longer. So there's yeah. something about social media being a catalytic element to relationships, but not being the bind, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think they have to, you know, progress somewhere else at some point. Mm. And I love your speaking about Nancy Klein. So I'm going to be really honest. I've got a, three of her books and it's like, I've got to get to that one. I've got to get to that one. I haven't quite got to it yet, but I know her work is so amazing. Everybody talks about it. What is it that you've taken so much away sort of for you, maybe individually, but also what comes out in your work, Meg? Uh, from the sort of time to think work? Well, I, 
I did a session at the coaching conference conference last year and I called my session human beings were bigger on the inside because the thinking environment is something which is incredibly simple my, I went on a foundation course I, I co-facilitated something with somebody who I really enjoyed being with and so we shared our different training and experiences and uh, philosophies, I suppose, about work. And one of the things that she'd mentioned was Nancy. And I'd read, I'd read Time to Think in a sort of flicky through sort of way and thought this sounds really interesting. But it didn't really sort of resonate strongly. So I thought, well, I'll go on the foundation course because from a coaching point of view, it's always been useful to understand different things you can bring into coaching. And I always struggled with coaching because, so let me, let me just wind back. So I never trained as a coach. All of my work has been organization development in organizations, managed hundreds of people and always really enjoyed all the one-to-one -one interaction and, but didn't set myself up to become a coach, but I got offered coaching work through the organization development work and through the network for different reasons. So I felt at some stage quite a long time ago compelled to train as a coach so that I had some credentials of some sort. Mm -hmm. Now, are you still there? Can you still hear me? Because the screen yeah. is frozen before I carry on. Yeah, yep, still still here. No problem, Meg. Yeah. Okay. Oh, fine. So I, I trained as a coach and that did, created a lot of benefit for me, but I still would Feel that coaches had all these clever questions and I somehow would sometimes people would say things and I'd think I don't know what I don't know I don't know what to say there uh, and sometimes I would just say well I'm not really sure what, what do you think that normally opens up people to carry on so I did the foundation course as a, as a way of getting some insights to strengthen my own coaching practice yeah and found it quite puzzling and so wanted to know more I suppose so what, what sits at the heart of the work is some, this, this very simple premise that the quality of everything that we do is based, based on the quality of the thinking we do first and we do our best thinking when we're treated really well so one of the findings that Nancy has in her work is that there are 10 components that seem to lock together as a system. I mean, they work individually, but they lock together as a system to create an environment for people to, to think really well for themselves and to, to perhaps ignite new, new thinking. So I'll, I'll talk about one or two of the components as a, as a way of illustrating that. Okay. And you talked about, you talked about courage earlier on. Uh, the courage to give people to have the time for, to think and for, for them to have the courage to stay in the thinking. So one of the 10 components is described as encouragement. So that's the encouragement for you to stay with your own thinking. So as a coach, I, my, my undertaking to you is that I won't interrupt you with my own thinking until you ask me to. And even then I might push you to do some more of your own thinking so that you go a bit further than you think you can go. 
So that requires encouragement for me for you to do that. And it also requires courage for me not to bring my own thinking. So somebody at a coaching session said to me last week, a huge, beautiful way of thinking. And then he said, now I really want your advice. You're much more experienced than me in this. So if you're in this situation, what would you do? So I'm full of being so much older and experienced and loads of amazing things and an obvious, this is, this is the pattern, this is it. And yeah. I said, well, I, I will should give you my own thinking. I promise that if you need it. And before I give you my own thinking, what more do you, you think? And there's, there's a bit more to that question. And all feel, all, all want to say. So, and more, more came. And that does take the encouragement for them not to yield into the coach to ask the question, what do you see? What do you think is my pattern? You know, what do you think is blocking me? So, so that's, that's one of the findings of Nancy's work. Right. And, and, and that, that, that one component is quite challenging because as a coach, you, you can be paid quite a lot of money and therefore there is a need to be seen. And, and I think I always really struggled with this because actually, why would I know more than you? <laughs> what you need how could I possibly know that so that and that that is so so there's there's a lot in the findings that creates the the way of the thinking environment that's why I've been I think working on this for four maybe five years and it's it's almost a daily practice Gary I have a thinking partnership every week and it still yields much to me so that's I'll, I feel like I've said quite a lot and you might have a question so if I if I stop there for a moment no, is there anything that you would like to ask or have thought about yeah do you know something what, what comes up for me actually is something around oh, have we lost the connection yeah we're, we're, it keeps popping up and down I think we're okay I'll, okay I'll keep acknowledging you just to let you know in case it does drop um with I think what's comes up for me Meg a, li a little bit is around how do you ensure? Can you hear me now? Yep, we're all fine. Can you hear me? No, I think what what comes up for me, Meg, which is interesting, and I, I I got I can totally understand the importance of this sort of work. Is there something? How do you ensure, however, that people you don't go into overthinking and people get lost in their thinking? Is there some sort of balance between? Sort of, is there a judgment call to make that people don't get lost in thinking, or is it okay to get lost in your thinking? Well, I think I think when people get lost in their thinking, that's that quite often can be where the shift occurs for them. So, I think if I'm if I'm working from a coaching point of view, it, it's contracted in. From a group work of view, point of view, it might be. <coughs> excuse me, it might be contracted in. Uh, so so. And it, so there, there will be agreements so that if somebody's feeling stuck, that they can ask for something. Mm -hmm. So what, what people, so if I'm coaching, people have a sign to say that they're done. So that they, and I, I say I'm done. Some people say that their signal that they've done with their wave of thinking is, I, what do you think? Uh, so, and it's normal, you know, the mind goes in, in waves of thinking. And in that pause, what happens I think in a lot of our day-to-day -day interactions in coaching and in facilitation in just in, in even in this conversation in the pause different things happen 
And we often see the pause as an opportunity to say, well, here's the thing, or here's an idea, here's a thought. It's a, it's a sort of an exchange of our thinking. But in that pause, often if we say nothing, uh, then there may be a reconnection to the thinking. So you get stuck, I'm all over the place. I don't know what, I'm confused. I feel like I'm rambling. I don't know what I'm saying. And if we stay with that, often people then say, and the thing that worries me is, so they, they will find a way to carry on. Mm. So I think how you are, how comfortable I am in the pause matters to whether they can stay in the pause. So if I'm not comfortable in the pause, that will communicate itself and it might be, might be difficult. And I think when I was training, that did happen occasionally. I remember somebody saying to me, Meg, you're looking at me. <laughs> I, I feel like I need to say something. And I said, well, if, if that's how you feel, I'm not doing it right. You know, that's not what it's about. Because there's, you know, there's a discomfort that comes to connecting to an unexpressed and hidden and pushed away and suppressed and despised feeling. There's a discomfort mm. that comes with that coming to the surface. Because once that comes to the surface, it clears the way for more thinking. So feelings is another another one of the 10 components where we're treating people really well that feelings are normal right you know so but we tend to push away the feelings that make us feel uncomfortable or uh, you know that agitate us or whatever uh so so we're not all and sometimes we don't even acknowledge them so having allowing those feelings to emerge clears the way for, for more effective thinking uh mm -hmm. and and that can happen. In, that can happen in groups where people feel, all you know, all of us have had a moment where we've had the rush of emotion, where our throat feels constricted, or we feel suffused by embarrassment that we're not really sure where it comes from, or some type of emotion that then stops us from. And I think if you can create a, a, an environment where that that is a normal, that, that you don't need to do anything with it. It's just normal. You just need to feel it, and then you move through it. Uh, I don't know if that answers that for yeah, you. Yeah, it does. No, no, no. It's really helpful, actually. There's a book I've been reading, actually. I'll wave it so you can see it. You know, it's coming. Um, Leading with Emotional Courage by Peter Bregman. And it's a really... So I've lost you again. Oh, so it's, uh, it's called Leading with Emotional Courage. Emotional Courage. I, I missed a bit of what you said. I do apologise if the connection's at this end. No, it's no. a new harp. We've got a new harp. <laughs> As we said, as we said, as we said before we recorded, Meg, this is real life. We're not editing anything. Yeah. This is what happens. So, <laughs> so no, it's called, it's called "Leading with Emotional Courage" by Peter Brigman, and it's and it, it, he speaks a lot about, and it's really interesting as a sort of U.S. leadership guru. It's an, it's probably one of the first times I've seen. I do a lot of reading around self development, personal development, but to have someone standing up and saying, "We need to be feeling," you know, we need to be going deep into those feelings and actually feeling them. They're called feelings, but they're not feelings because they're external. They're feelings that are internal. You've got to actually feel them to be able to deal with them or to process them or to learn from them. And it, sort of, it, sounds, sort of, it sounds a sort of similar thing around that actually, you know, not being scared to internalize what's going on and sort of live through it rather than try and avoid it. Is, is that, would that be correct or? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I, it, it does. It feels, it, it sounds right. And I think, I think all the good stuff has something that's very common in it. I think I was talking to somebody the other day about Nancy's work. And for me, it's like a, it, it's like a simplification 
of everything I've ever read into this very beautiful and elegant set of findings, which is based on observing many, many years of observing how our mind actually works. So from a coaching perspective, we think that there are some innate questions that the mind asks itself. You know, if you're sort of, bond, sort of mulling something over, you know, I actually wrote, I actually wrote down today if I knew something, writing about something and if I'd have known this. Uh, so the mind does have some questions, you know, you, you sort of generate some assumptions. You might say, oh, I'm really nervous about the, the podcast. I might look like an idiot. You think, well, that's not true because Gary won't let that happen. <laughs> so that's the, that's the mind. So but we generate assumptions, they're untrue, so we kick them away. But quite a lot of the blocks and barriers we have are where an assumption goes deep in and a, an untrue assumption is lived as true. And, and um, unpicking that is quite, it, it, you know, it can be in many layers. I mean, coaching, using this, um, and maybe other ways of coaching, is a bit like archaeology, sort of scratching through layers and layers of stuff that we, we acquire as we go through life. And a lot of those assumptions are amazing assumptions that are true, that can be liberating for us. But the ones that block us, that, that contain, constrain, limit us, the ones that are untrue. So from a coaching point of view, we would be looking at that. And then in terms of my organization development work, I suppose one of the questions I might ask people is, you know, let's think about the assumptions we're making about this decision. Mm. Uh, and, and lots of other disciplines bring in assumptions too. So, but it, that, that is one of, the, one of the human traits is that we are, we're sort of just full of assumptions really, and some of them block us. It's just saying, you've really got me with this archaeology. I've never thought of coaching as like an archaeological dig. I think that's beautiful. I hope you copyright that and get that as your new logo or something. It's, it's, honestly, it's brilliant. I, just, I think it's a really nice metaphor to visualise what you're yeah. trying to do. Because how many, how many of us, myself included, you know, the reason I set this podcast up was, you know, I was tired myself, Meg, of people that look like me politely, you know, not thinking that there are issues... You know, learned behaviours around, you know, racism, you know, I was bullied as a kid. You know, we're just not talking enough. I'm not saying we have to be, like, exposing everything. Okay, I'm prepared to do that. We don't all have to be that way. But I do feel that the more we can lean into and do that dig on ourselves with the help of people like you, the more, like you say, the more we will flourish as individuals. And I just love that. I love that archaeological dig metaphor. You know, how, how deep are we really going with ourselves to be able to... I think... Sorry. No, no, no. Please. Well, I think it, I think it's a bit like I was watching something on television where there was this sort of that massive piece of earth, and they're doing they're sort of doing archaeology, which I'd always quite fancy doing. And I'm just watching <laughs> them doing it, and I'm thinking, oh my god, it's like so big, it's just too I can't imagine it. And then they were they all got very excited after days and days of knowing there was something there, and it was starting to take shape. They 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 found a tiny fragment of something, either a pot or a bone, and they're doing this really, you can't see it, it's on a podcast, but they're doing this really tiny little tool, just delicate, delicate scraping. Then they revealed something, a moment of excitement. And they had some knowledge about what type of pot or bone it was. And, and I, I was thinking about my own coaching that I have, my own coaching supervision, my own work development work I do for myself. And was thinking sometimes, things that that 
inhibit us. They're like stuck to us, like really hard, sticky layers. And getting rid of them is, it requires that, that gentle, persistent, uh, sometimes taking a long time, just moving it away to be able to see it. And then once you see it, then we're incredibly well resourced to deal with, with whatever hour it is. And, and sometimes the, 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 the reveal is something that is quite small, but actually it's had so many layers on it. You know, it has become something that has been a block. So that, that moment of recognizing an untrue assumption that you have been living as true. Uh, and for, for most of us, it is based in some sort of fear of rejection or humiliation, or I can't do this. For most of us, our, our blocks are based on some deep-rooted, unexpressed, unknown, unnamed fear. So when we get to that, it's liberating and, and freeing. In fact, I had a really good think about something on Thursday. And I, I had a couple of nasty little mean-spirited assumptions that came out, but I thought I'm going to say them, like a mean-spirited view about, about somebody that I'd othered. Um, and once I said it, it was horrible, but I laughed because it had gone. I, I'm not, but, it, but I had never expressed it, and I hadn't even known I was really thinking it, but it was in there. Uh, and it's not very nice to say something mean-spirited, uh, but, but, but I had it in me. So by saying it, it's, it's expressed and then it's gone. And then I, I, I did quite a long think about something and then got to the conclusion, oh, I need to ask for this in that situation. So rather than going to somebody with a big story rambling about, I'm not happy about something, I'm just able to say, look, I think in this environment, why don't we do this? Very simple. It's, it's so cool. Honestly, I feel, I, feel like, I feel like I'm getting such an education now. This is awesome. I really, I really want to go on this. Um, I need to think more, think more seriously about doing one of these. I've known, like I said, I've known Nancy Klein's work for ages, but the way you're so beautifully communicating it and like how impactful it is and how gentle it is, I think it's a really nice word because it can be in this always on super macho world that we live in, you know, profits, metrics, fast, fast, fast. You know, the word gentle isn't commonly used. So I'm really interested. How do you enroll senior leaders or organizations into this work? I guess people have got to want to do it, Meg, first of all. I think so. Well, it's, but it's well from, from my perspective, I, I don't really do that. I mean, from a coaching point of view, it's what I offer as a coach. And I, did, I had a, a coaching contracting meeting. So when I do coaching, I, meet, I would meet with the, the person I'm coaching and their boss. Uh, and I had a meeting with these two people. And the, the boss, while I was talking, uh, downloaded two copies of More Time to Think. Oh, wow. Uh, during the meeting. Uh, so from a coaching perspective, but, but I, have other, I have other clients or potential clients so where I would, it's all about you thinking for yourself. My promise is I won't, I won't interrupt. It doesn't mean I won't say anything. I won't share anything, but I won't interrupt you unless you, unless you want me to. And even then I'm going to see how far you can go with your own thinking. And some people don't want that. They want, they want other people's thinking. Okay. But I don't, I, I don't really sell in content, uh, so I, I don't train other people on the thinking environment at the moment because with, from an OD perspective, I go in, and actually one of my own aims is to, is to be a thinking environment, so I may not explicitly talk about it, or I might talk about bits about it, but if an organisation is going through change and I'm getting a group of people together in a room, I will always ask them what they think, what more they think, what more they feel, what more they'd like to say. 
and, and I think it fits very well with the inclusion uh, agenda, which for me, organisation development is all about including everybody. So you have the wisdom of the whole system and then the system can see itself and then it can make its changes. Mm. Uh, so it's naturally a very inclusive process. But I think this way of working, where, is, where I feel it's transformed my own work with leaders and all, all people I work with in organisations, is in that pause. So in a group where there's a pause, would often be as a facilitator, that's your opportunity to say something. Yeah. I think to myself, I wonder what they're going to say next. <laughs> and it's incredible what that yields. But I'm actually currently training to teach this stuff. So oh, I'm great. Running, I'm, I'm running a, a practice course in, I think, in March. Hopefully we can get everybody together. Uh, and then I'll, I will be selling it as a standalone product. But most of my work is not sort of content-based. It's more working with organisations as a thinking partner. And as one, one CEO said to me, sort of makes our coach for the whole organisation, uh, sort of helping them hold themselves to account and helping them think and making sure that they do take time out to think because people won't do that sometimes without somebody saying, come on, stop. It's your time to think. That's, that's lovely. If there are any, you know, without, without sort of course naming names, do you have any clients that are, you know, FTSE clients or maybe clients that are very much at the behest of the short termism of the financial markets, but they are showing an interest in trying to stop and get present and to create time to think? Or does it tend to be sort of non, non sort of FTSE type companies? Well, I, you know, I have a small consultancy. So any work I do in FTSEs, I, I don't do much associate work, but I do, I do a little bit of associate work uh, through one lovely consultancy, Cake, uh, and a little bit through a company called Humans and Logistics. So the, and so the question is, can you remind me of the question? No, no, sure. So it's just like, it, 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 is there an appetite for this sort of space creating work in, in the sort of short-termist financial markets that are out there looking quarter on quarter on quarter results? Do sort of senior leaders feel that this is important right now? I just wondered if you had any sense of that. Well, I think, I think that's quite a big question really. So I do, <laughs> I do provide coaching for, for, in, in, for a financial services organisation that's global and there's myself and a small team of coaches that coach the senior managers there. And they're very interested in the environment. But um, I think my, my experience is that a lot of the interest in really changing culture in these big organisations does not come from the top. Uh, it comes from people more in the middle of the organisation that are in the thick of it that see, they see the, the, the stresses and pressures and demands that exist and think, wouldn't it be great if we could all actually learn about creating a thinking environment for each other? So, and I think I do some work with some boards I, I, and I don't, I think my, you know, the work I do, I'm always going to be talking about the thinking environment and or culture with, with every group of, and every organisation I work with. And I think it can be incredibly uncomfortable. The more senior people get, the more difficult it is, I think, for them to make that time for themselves to think and to feel their feelings. Uh, they, they've got so much depending upon them. So I, I suppose my dream, is it a dream or a fantasy? Because dreams, I think you can, you can say, I have this dream and I'm going to make it happen. 
a fantasy is like a little world that you think, oh yeah, if I get the lottery, I'll do all these things. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think our governance system is where the thinking and the compassion needs to start. Mm. So I think it's quite a closed system because it, it is so, the big corporates are so driven by, it, it really money is the lens. I mean, they, they pay some attention to corporate responsibility, to sort of societal, societal, where people have days off. Well, they don't have days off, do they? They, they exchange a work day and go off and do some, some work for charity. Yeah, I, I don't know where that takes, but does that give you what you were? Yeah, no, it does. No, 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 it's, no it's, it's definitely helpful because from, like I say, in, in the sort of, with the ambition of balance for the podcast, Meg, it's just interesting. It's very easy to sort of whack senior leaders of any type of corporation with a stick. You know, you know, we should be this, we should be that. So it's just, I'm just trying to understand, is this, this sort of gentle approach to creating space of interest to some of these bigger companies. And I get the sense from other people in the network that there is a desire, but I think there's also a fear because the metric, as you say, because it's a metric lens and not a human lens. You know, I think that's part of the challenge. I don't, you know, I don't, I genuinely don't believe anybody comes to work to try and hurt people, but they learn, you know, people, I do generally, I also think people do let them their ethics and their values go down the drain a bit too easily at times. So it's an interesting, yeah, I find that the interesting paradox for me at the moment is that sort of accountability part to some extent. I think Nancy herself said something in one of her books about, you know, leaders that are obedient is you sort of move up the tree to, you know, here's, here's what we're going to measure, here's what we're going to do, and then people comply into that. And it's, it's quite difficult to break out of that system, isn't it? I, mm. I think I think more people are... Going back to an earlier question you had about whether there is a, a sort of a gathering energy for it for work to be more humanistic and a more gentle uh, and more community based and more family based and all of those things that that we are as as social human beings maybe maybe there is something. Maybe there is something that is that is slowly happening, uh, where the certainly I have never met anybody who I've discussed the thinking environment with who hasn't said that sounds like a great thing. Mm. But I think we are overly attached to to metrics and and evidence evidence based management. Uh, which I know has a very broad uh, definition, but but good work. I think I think my lovely chum Doug Shaw once said in a conversation we were having that good work takes time to reveal itself, and I was thinking about you know how long I've been working with Nancy on this and where I was then and where I am now in terms of how I can talk about it in a way that's accessible to people connected to my own heart energy but but meaningful and, and I think if you if you improve a relationship between you and I as colleagues because we learn to think well together uh, it, it, you know it's it's what we do we place a value on that mm. 
it, you know, it's like trying to, I, I wrote a blog once called How Deep Is Your Love? And saying, you, I mean, I'm sure somebody somewhere has got an algorithm to work out, you know, all the circumstances where people could fall in love with each other. But really what makes us fall in love with each other? You know, what's on the paper and what, what really is the lived experience can be two quite different things. So, it, it, and I think you can build measurement around the, the qualitative connection between performance and behavior and relationships and thinking. But I, I don't know if we recruit leaders that are interested in that. Because, mm. you know, some of us are much more interested in the numbers and some of us are much more interested in the phenomenological connection. You need both, don't you? Uh, absolutely. I, I think it was really interesting. A couple of podcasts coming out of the US, actually. I think it was Mark Crowley um, interviewed someone from Stanford, I think it was. And apparently the MBA, the MBA programs are only now in 2019 starting to move away from metric focus to including something relating to interpersonal skills. Like mm -hmm. literally now, Meg. So like that, that's, uh, we've literally got generations of people that have been paying tens of thousands to get an MBA, which has had nothing to do with human beings and how to interact and how to empathize and how to lead and how to love and how to care about your people. So that, I think, so for me, that's really interesting. And, and that, those, those generations are our, are our leaders now. They're, mm -hmm. our, they're probably our politicians. Uh, so it's, and as you say, I, I, I always have a sort of a book title. I don't think I'll ever write it. I've, I think I've got other, <laughs> another book I want to write, but a book title, maybe it'd be a, a, a chapter title, would be why good, good people become bad managers. And I've coached and worked with lots of people who have actually been really unpleasant to other people, but on a one-on-one -on -one basis, they're delightful. Uh, so, and we're so much more than what we just see at work. There's so much more to us as human beings. We, you know, we, we, we come to work with our family values, with our relationships, our family history, our family story, the, the assumptions that we've taken on board from the parenting that we've had. Uh, and, and then we turn up to work and somehow don't pay any attention to all of that. But if you've got two people that have got very different family values about money, for example, neither good or bad, but just very different and they're never discussed, you then get into that situation where you find that the, the lens by which you're making financial decisions is very different because it's built on a lot of assumptions about what's important and what's good and what's desirable and what, what will be rewarded. And if we don't pay any attention to understanding who we are, who I am as a human being, I can't help you do anything better if I don't understand my own process. I think that's, I, I don't do much leadership development work. I did some for a client, uh, we finished quite a long time ago, about five years ago, but they, they're still running this global program. They wanted me to come and do this leadership development thing. And I said, look, there's loads of companies there that, there that do that. And no, we want you to do it. And I said, well, I would, anyway, this is a long conversation. I would only do it if we can do some, if we can do it around changing culture and exploring culture. So I had this wonderful experience where I had sort of almost a free remit to design something as a pilot. Uh, and through that, through that design, which was collaborative design with the participants and the co-facilitators who now run it internally, what we discovered is that the only thing that we could teach people about leadership was to show them all the different range of leadership thinking models, theories, and let them play and experiment it with each other. Uh, and for us to create some space where they can 
a sort of a big action learning set, if you like, where they learn from each other. Because self-awareness is the only, only way, in a way. So, because you can, there's so many books written about leadership and it's all intellectually makes sense. But if you, as an individual, do not understand what your drivers are, what makes you tick, who you are, how your family story impacts your decision making, then without that self-awareness, you can go and read a book and try to be, I don't know, authentic or whatever it is you want to be, but, but it won't be true. Oh, honestly, I could talk to you all day, Meg, but I'm really conscious of the time. You've touched on just like some of these themes for anyone that might be listening to us for the first time. This podcast are you know, inclusion, vulnerability or courage, however you want to describe it, self-awareness. And I've just been such a rich conversation. You, and Nancy Klein needs to pay you. I will, I will be doing one of these courses at some point because it's honestly it's it's really it's, it's actually we don't use this in a work context very often but it just sounds like a really beautiful process I, you know it just genuinely does which is you don't say that much about learning or growth or sharing normally so thank you for sharing so openly it's really interesting and I think well I think I, I'd like to appreciate the quality of the attention you've given me because you're that summary of saying it's beautiful actually it is a really beautiful experience so it will be lovely to welcome you on one of mine or somebody else in the team's courses well i'm it's, I'm definitely, it's going on my list of things to do for sure so how can people reach out to you meg if they want to follow up this conversation learn a bit more about you maybe after the podcast what's the what's the best way to reach you website or linkedin well, I mean, I, I have multiple ways that people can contact me. I have, I have my Twitter, uh, which is OD underscore optimist. I have a website, which is www.mppartnership.co.uk. I have a LinkedIn page. I'll probably have another page somewhere. Uh, so it, it will be lovely to hear if anyone wants to talk more about anything I've said. And I'd be really lovely for you and I to continue our conversation in some other way at some point. Well, we will definitely be picking that up, Meg. I can guarantee you that. So, look, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Okay, super. All the best. Take care. Hello there. Just your Value Through Vulnerability host, Gary Turner, wrapping up this just brilliant podcast discussion with, with Meg. I know I'd enjoy it, but some of the insights that I took away, for example, Meg spoke about coaching via the thinking environment being like archaeology. I just thought, what a beautiful metaphor for trying to help other people get out of their own way over time. You know, I just think it's amazing. You know, she spoke about the beliefs that limit us are often based on unfounded assumptions. And they're the things that they, you know, they wedge themselves further and further onto ourselves, like my own discussion now i'm launching an online summit next week in fact the promo starts and you know i layered up about my bullying and you know myself harming at university and other things because i just didn't talk about it and those things just layer up over time and yeah it's fascinating you know, think the environment is like archaeology you just remove a little bit bit at a time and at some point a bit of a treasure will start to reveal itself just absolutely beautiful and um, i'd really like to know if this resonates with other people you know the um the idea of the thinking environment or even coaching in general, being like archaeology, I think it's wonderful. She also spoke very vulnerably about having a moment of feeling mean-spirited about somebody else that she had, um, inverted commas, othered. This, that really jumped out for me personally because Nilla for Merchant, 
uh, one of the ex-Apple executives, spoke at the HRD conference last year. And she wrote a book called Onlyness. And um, yeah, that comment just really jumped out for me because, yeah, if we, if, if we aren't inclusive, if we are not removing ourselves from judgment, if we're not allowing ourselves to see with an open heart, open ears and open mind, then we potentially do risk othering people. And it's just that really jumped out to me as a really important reflection uh, from Meg as she spoke. I really enjoyed as well as she spoke about this point, you know, being comfortable with silence or in the pause as she quotes it. So not only do you have to be okay with the pause, let's say as the coachee, for example, but she as the coach has to be comfortable with that silence. And you know, I come from a sales background where people intentionally teach you not to speak in the pause, just to see if the other person goes first and you can read them. You know, this is more authentic than that. This is much more empathetic and human, I think, than, you know, okay, it's a sales tactic, it can work, but this for me was all about presence and allowing the space and the time to expand in that consciousness to allow someone to connect with whatever their inner being is trying to allow them to connect to, which isn't always obvious in the busyness of our lives. So, yeah, I've just got so much uh, from, from this conversation with Meg. You know, I, I think the other thing that also jumped out for me as well was actually around, you know, she spoke about her organizational development practice. You know, it's all about inclus inclusion. You know, you can't allow a system to see itself unless everybody's included. And I'd like to put that challenge out to people. You know, we talk about it as being a system. This is, I had a great conversation with a, a new contact uh, this week who spoke about the human body being a great representation of an organization. You know, you cannot, no one part of the body can function without the rest. Um, so yeah, just so many reflections, so much learning from Meg today. And I'm just so, so grateful, A, to have her in my network and B, that she spared the time um, to offer me an education and to share some, uh, some insights on this particular podcast. So please do reach out to her directly. Do connect with her if you don't know her already. But if, even if you do, we'd both really appreciate some feedback. And as always, if this has resonated with you, you know, leaving uh, a rating for us on the iTunes app would also be greatly appreciated. But in the meantime, I wish you all a fantastic weekend. If you listen to this over the weekend and if it's not reached you until next week, have a great week. And again, my name is Gary Turner and this is the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. And all the very best for now really hoping that you enjoyed that exploration on the value through vulnerability podcast you can find out much more about hexo change at hexochangenow.com that's h-e-x-o change now one word.com you can subscribe to a weekly newsletter at that website which includes information about live stream conversations further service offerings blogs but also our in-person events of which we have multiple each year. So I really hope that you'll join us. Do connect with me, Gary Turner on LinkedIn, and I really hope to hear from you soon.